This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann, still not in Soyers Bay because I am in Auckland. I'm on the campus of EIT, Eastern Institute of Technology, and I am joined by Samuel Ekundayo, who is a senior lecturer here. Um, He's an agile coach. He is known as the Purpose Preacher. He's written several books. Welcome, Samuel. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Sam. It's such a pleasure. How has your bubble life been? It's been pretty interesting. Uh, I've been telling people that this year has been my best year yet. And it's uh, very strange. It's such a thing that you don't want to say out out loud (laughs) because uh, it's a very sensitive period. Many people are down and out. Many people are depressed and sad. Many people are wondering why this year has been the way it is. Um, But I must say that one of the things that I've learned earlier, earlier on this year is that within every time of adversity like this, there is purpose. And if you're able to find purpose, just like in the words of Viktor Frankl, that any man with a why can be anyhow. Uh, if you're able to find a purpose in all that is going on, there is a likelihood that instead of you being punished by the whole situation, you will be polished by it. And that has been my story. That's been the summary of my story. So we've had a year of polishing. A year of polishing. It's, it's been quite good that we've had like nothing else to do. <laughs> stuck at home. <laughs> stuck at home, but of course, we're still uh, a lot of lessons to learn, yeah. So did you, you're obviously working at home? Yes. How did that go? Um, it, initially, it was a bit of a struggle because no one planned um, for what happened. No one saw that coming, but we, um, we were just told, hey, oh, here, here in our, uh, on campus in Auckland, we had just actually started the term, and um, I think I had only taught a class face-to-face, and we were told the next day we were supposed to go into lockdown and teach that next class on Zoom. So <laughs> no one saw it coming. We were not prepared for it. I had my kids at home and all of these things, <laughs> like everyone else uh, did. Um, but I think um, I'm a naturally positive person. Um, taking all of that you know, um, stride and just going with it and going with the flow, learning through developing competencies as a result, um, through all of the difficulties and challenges, uh, helped see me through. So who have you got at home? I've got my, my two boys, mm-hmm. uh, a six-year-old and a five-year-old. I've got my wife. My wife is a medical doctor, but she, so she walked practically throughout, <laughs> throughout the, uh, the whole COVID situation. Um, she was going to work and, and all of that. But yeah, so that's our bubble. That's our bubble. Was that a, a scary thing, her going off to, to work? It was. It was. To be very frank, it was. I remember um, uh, every time she went to work and, and came back during the really high intense COVID period, I'm talking about like the March, April, May, June uh, period, uh, she would come back home and of course the boys would usually love to run towards <laughs> mommy and, you know, hey, hey, 
everybody hold back don't 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 go out mommy yet so she will literally go into the guest room uh, um undress and then go into the shower first um and then get dressed again before she's able to then hug anybody <laughs> you know so it was that intense it was that intense glad that's not the case now <laughs> yeah and are the are the boys old enough to that you were doing schooling as well? Yeah, yeah. So we had to be doing... So I was teaching the big, big kids on Zoom. I was teaching the small kids at home. So it, um, I had to be homeschooling them during the entire process. But they had some Zoom classes too. But the Zoom classes didn't last very long, right? Their teachers wouldn't be able to keep them on Zoom. I mean, these are kids. Wouldn't be able to keep them on Zoom for too long. So probably just an hour. And then we parents have to take over. And then we still have our own jobs. Well, should I say I still have my own jobs because my wife was also working... So it was a bit of a struggle initially, but we found a way around it. We found a way around it. We developed systems around it that helped them to be able to uh, learn on their own, take control of their own learning, despite the fact that they are quite young, and I'm still able to also do my work and get things done. So how did the teaching online go? I must say teaching online uh, was uh, initially in, um, a bit ch challenging. In fact, I found it quite draining. Uh, at the start, um, I was having constant migraines because um, I was probably trying to do too much at the start, you know, trying to take the entire four hours class on Zoom, <laughs> you know, at the, at the start. Because, of course, if you're having that in a face-to-face, -face, if you're having a four hours class in a face-to-face, -face, time goes by really quickly, you're engaging with the students, they're discussing, you know. You're... So I, I thought that was the same model that we would just transport, you know, straight into Zoom. But I quickly realized that I was, <laughs> I was, I was fooling myself because uh, after about two, three classes, I was having this constant migraine. But luckily, we had this forum where, um, as lecturers where we would discuss and talk about how, what we're doing, you know, what the challenges were. And I soon realized that many of my colleagues were just doing an hour on Zoom <laughs> and, you know, uh, you know, letting the students take control of their own learning throughout that time. And the students were not complaining, even though they were actually struggling as well with, you know, being with me on four hours on Zoom and all of that. Um, but I realized enthusiasm began to dwindle and all of that. So I quickly had to adapt and change uh, part of developing new competencies that I talked uh, talked about the other time. You you learn that you you have to learn quickly, adapt really quickly, and and change the way you do things really quickly for a more effective outcome. So that was it for me. That was it for me. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Master KG. Jerusalem? Yes, Jerusalem, one of my favorite songs. Why this one? Um, it's, a, it's a very happy song. It's a very happy song, uh, sung by South African, I believe, very strongly. And it's gone around the world now. Everyone's singing it and dancing to it. I saw it on Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, Instagram channel not too long ago as well. So, <laughs> yeah, it's quite an exciting song.
positive person what, what do you think the role of that positivity is when we're experiencing something like a, a pandemic just like the natural eye or the untrained eye wouldn't recognize raw gold um, it would take a trained eye to see raw gold in the rough and be able to realize that 
if I can put this precious metal through the fire, then it will become valuable. The very same way if you're not a naturally positive person, you will never be able to see opportunities in adversity. You will never be able to use crisis to your advantage. And I think being a positive person for me, my perspective about things that I go through or things that are happening around me um, gives me a unique perspective, um, you know, compared to what other people would have about things. So when the whole COVID situation happened, I, I wasn't looking at it like a problem. I was trying to sieve the opportunities through the entire situation. Literally, I was actually looking at what are the opportunities here. I'm a person of faith, you know, a, a Christian. And I remember one of the very first things I did was to literally go to God in prayer and say, God, what are you doing in this season? What is, what is, what is going on in this season that you want me to get out of this season? Or you want people around me to get out of this season? And I got a, a few revelations out of that and I wrote them down. I, didn't have my, I don't have my journal with me now. I think I've got about five key things. Number one of them was what I wrote a book about. And the first one, um, I heard it straight audibly. It says, crisis is a call to leadership. And, and I wrote that down, you know, and I soon realized that every crisis, and I did some research after that, every crisis was calling out to somebody to lead, to, 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 to emerge, to, to, to come out and be the beacon of hope, the beacon of light, the beacon of faith at that particular point in time. And that really helped me to realize that I was, you know, just like in the words of the Bible, the same scripture that God gave me, um, you know, I needed to stand on my watchtower rather than go down deep and, and, and depressed and cry. You know, I needed to stand on the watchtower. And to stand on the watchtower in the very real Hebrew uh, uh, reference to that is to literally be the one calling out to people to, to, to come out and express themselves and be themselves themselves and, and have faith and, 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 and move rather than, you know, stay down. So I knew that I, I, was, I, was, I had a calling on me to do something, to lead at that particular point in time. And leadership is influence. And that was precisely what I did that I believe really turned everything around for me. Can you remember the rest? Oh, I, I can, I can. <laughs> another, one that, another one that I got was the fact that um, uh, uh, crisis would introduce me to myself. All right, and I, and I realized that one of the major things that crisis does is to help us see in ourselves the things we do not maybe see before or value enough. You know, uh, one of the books that I read during this pandemic is Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. And, you know, if, you, if you've read that book or if anyone knows about Viktor Frankl, he was the same guy that, went in, that was in the Nazi camp, um, you know, about to be bound and killed, you know, alive and all of those things like that. And he was talking about, you know, he talked about how many people couldn't survive the camp. And he said the few people that he saw that survived the camp uh, were those who had a why, who, who had a positive outlook and, and were seen beyond their pains and were seen beyond the struggle and knew there was something about themselves that was not necessarily special, but there was something that could outlast their, that pain. And, and that was why he, he, he made that, that statement that he who has a why can be anyhow. And because I had that word as well, I was able to respond to it, to see quite clearly that there is something inside of me that will carry me through this period and I must not, you know, stay down or, 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 or be down. Despite the fact that I, like I said earlier on, initially it was challenging with my teaching practice. It was challenging with some of the things I had to do at that time, but I was able to pull through because I saw some things in myself. Another thing that I also saw was that crisis is a tool. 
<laughs> you know, and um, reference to uh, William Shakespeare's words, he would say, sweet are the uses of adversity. In other words, if we learn how to use adversity <laughs> uh, to our advantage, then we can get the best out of it. You know, the same adversity that will cause some people to break is the same adversity that will cause some other people to break records, right? And that was what I said on my mind. I started to set new goals, revise my goals. I, I was a, the type of person that would travel at least twice a month before. You know, I, I speak a lot. I'm a, I'm a I'm a professional speaker as well as a teacher, and I would be invited outside of New Zealand at least twice a month. But of course, COVID ended that from happening. But I then had to revise my goals. Okay, now everyone's speaking online. Now everyone's speaking virtually. What do I do? How can I make the most of this opportunity? I decided to redraft out some of the things I did, some of my offerings, some of my masterclasses, my seminars, my programs, my boot camps, and my inner circles, and all of those things. I redrafted all of them, refocused my goals. And I can tell you today, I've spoken more than 120 times between March and December, uh, all over the world, in Canada, in U.S., you know, of course, virtually. But I've learned to use adversity to my own advantage. Another thing that I got from that particular time uh, with God was that crisis would also introduce me to other people. So I, I, I started to see crisis as an opportunity to collaborate. And one of the most, I think this was one of the most fundamental things that came out of this COVID situation was collaboration, collaboration with other people. Um, I, you know, outside of academia, I, I'm big on speaking on purpose. Um, and then I started to find other people who were doing similar things all over the world. And we started to do things together. This year alone, I've hosted two major conferences. The first one, about 2,000 delegates. The second one, about 5,000 delegates. And I've never hosted anything like that in my life. <laughs> and I did two this year, two this year. And it could only have happened because I got wind of that particular word that, hey, I could be introduced to other people as a result of this. And if I collaborate with them properly, collaborate and use their influence, right? And in, combined with my own influence, then I could make something out of this crisis that would not have come out of it. And that was, those are the key pivotal words, uh, 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 or should I say, anchor that, that held my sheep uh, uh, at bay. One of the things about the pandemic is that it's shown us that we can do things if we set our mind to it, but also that the things that we do quite often turn out we can't do those things. Yeah, yeah. And so that there's a bit of a tension mm -hmm. or contradiction perhaps there. And I think in professional practice, it's really highlighted to people that it's they're not defined by the the things that they do, that they do yeah. but the, the why they're doing it. So Absolutely. I, I can't. I can't deliver this particular service in the way this I way. normally do. But you, you stop and think, how can I deliver that service in a way that I can't go near those people? And I think it's really highlighted to people about yes. That, yes. that purpose. And that opportunity to look deep and rethink your why is a major tool for a revival in your life and in your practice. Like a major revival. I mean, if we're just used to going in circles and doing things the same way, you know what they say about doing things the same way and expecting a different result is in insanity, right? So many of us do things the same way, like we're just like literally going around our subconscious mind, just playing around, you know, you drive to the same place, you come back home and you do the same thing, you watch TV and you sleep. But crisis, what crisis does is unsettle you. <laughs> unsettle you enough to rethink how you do things, to rethink why you do things, and as a result be able to emerge with new ways of doing those things even better, more effective, and so on. And even end up doing a lot, like me. I, I, there's no year that I've written two books in a year. This year, I've written, I wrote two books. I almost wrote three. I had to delay the third one. <laughs> I actually did write three. I delayed the third one. <laughs> so, um, and I, 
yeah, like I said, hosted two conferences, done several programs. I did a boot camp four times this year, like I've never done any year. So massive, massive year, massive year. So how can we have a best year yet, as you described it, <laughs> without having to have the disruption of a pandemic in the background? We must never settle for our previous successes. We must sort of like create a disruption in the way we do things to help us revise how we do things. I mean, if it would take disruption to do a revision, then it means of our own selves, without the external disruptions, we should be trying to create things within us that would help us revise our goals, revise our vision, and revise our practice. And if we can do that often enough, all right, revisit how we do things maybe every three months, maybe every six months. Perhaps we would always find a better way to do things. We'll find a more effective way you know, um, to do things. And when we do that, we'll be unstoppable. We'll, we'll be maximizing our potentials. I believe very strongly that the enemy of our, of our future is our past successes. They're not even like our, our challenges or our problems. The enemy of our future are our past successes. And many of us are resting on our laurels when we could be doing more. Many of us are sitting on, in our comfort zones when if we just get a bit of uncomfortable, and that's what crisis does to us, you know, makes us uncomfortable. And because we're uncomfortable, we are forced to develop new competences. We are forced to you know, enter into new terrain. Uh, uh, we're forced to collaborate with other people. We are forced to learn from other people. We are forced to do things in a new way. And these are the things that helps us maximize our potentials and helps us not to stay down or stay where we are. But by definition, being comfortable is comfortable. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But it would keep you there. That's the thing. Being comfortable will keep you where you are. Because you're just comfortable. But do you not get tired of the, the being unsettled or the, the, the ongoing uncertainty? How do you deal with that in a, in a positive frame? Within the spectrum of purpose, if you're, if you're, doing, if you're being unsettled within your why, it, it, it becomes something uh, exhilarating something exciting, something amazing. I remember uh, during the whole pandemic, like I did mention that I've spoken about 100, 120 times within the whole uh, pandemic period. There was a time I, I remember one particular day, I was speaking for like three or four times. I was speaking on Instagram Live with somebody. I was speaking on a Zoom conference with another person. I was doing a Facebook Live with another person. And, you know, like about four. And by the time I was done that day, I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, I, but guess what? When I was doing all those things, I was full of energy. I was excited because I was talking to them about my favorite topic, purpose, and I was enjoying myself. And my wife looked at me and said, I think you need some days of rest. I'm like, no, this is what keeps me going. That was exactly my statement. I said, this is what keeps me going. I love to do this. I want to do this. I can't stop. I don't want to stop. You know, and she would often refer to that day. Every time we talk, she would say, I'm sorry. I'm sure you would say that's what keeps you going. Yes, <laughs> this is exactly what keeps me going. So finding what keeps you going and unsettling yourself within the parameter or the perimeters of that thing to do more. And I feel that is exactly what life is all about. Where we're you know, reaching out for new grounds, you know, stepping into new terrains, and, and we're doing more to, to add value to lives. We're doing more to make the world a better place. We're doing more to help people become better. We're doing more to be that beacon of hope, beacon of faith, beacon of light to other people, even in a time of, 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 of adversity. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favorite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, kia koutou, koutou hoho. I hope you're all having the best day. Beautiful superstar in all beloved universes. And I really hope 
Wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, the triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, here, things better, thank you. So I've had a lovely day today and I hope you have too. I know it's very tumultuous here and we're heading towards the end. We've had so many ups and downs, we've learnt so much, we've shared so much together, we've grown such internally and externally, and here we are in a state of freedom, and all body studied and indeed nationally in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm very lucky to be part of a Fire Flat Folk Festival, so it's been all about getting plans ready, bits of paper that say what we're going to do, an idea in all our minds of what we'll do. If anyone becomes sick, we have to segregate, quarantine them. And I believe in us, of course. Now, with facilities available, we have to do our best. And I'm sure this is true for all of us. I know that we're doing our best all the time. At this time, when everybody's frolicking about all over Aotearoa-Land, enjoying the freedom, joy-free time, I know many of us are feeling a bit concerned. But I believe in us. We can learn from where we've been before. We can make better always. We have all the skills all the time. And as a species, so creative. We can always create new tools, new ways of things, new ways of being and seeing. So we need not worry. Now, tonight, I've been out and about celebrating the last 30 years for Marilyn Anderson. The amazing events got us off Dunedin. And of course, Marilyn has really helped me the year. I named our Christmas tree after her. A new Christmas tree. And it was lovely for me to go to her farewell tonight. Hear from everybody who knows and loves her. And of course, to add my own voice to the celebration. And then join her for dinner and drinks afterward. And what does it mean? What does her time mean? Well, for me, she's really given our biodiversity her heart. It's always felt real that she's here for us. Her true self, that she cares and loves what she's doing. And that makes a big difference. So I really hope for you, you're surrounded by people who really care and love what they're doing. And I really hope you are finding ways to express your care and love into the world around you. Makes a big difference. As we all know, we can feel it, we can see it. And we know when it changes. At the moment we have a brand new cafe open, actually opening tomorrow at Orokanui Eco Sanctuary. And for the first time today, we had a big shared lunch. All the staff, everybody coming to the visitor centre to have a big lunch together. And it was so lovely. And when we do come together to celebrate each other, whether it's for making events happen in Stunedin for 30 years, or just that we're opening the cafe and tasting different foods for the first time, we can always make each other feel special and feel loved. So I really hope for you, you're finding opportunities to really share who you are and feel appreciated. And I really hope that for the next we are, you can appreciate all you have done to celebrate where you are and who you are and those that you love around you. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Samuel Ekendeo. Mawera's not here to ask this question, so I'll ask it for her. What's the role of imagination in this positiveness, this purposeful living? I often say, I don't like to call it imagination. I like to call it being visionary. And something that is quite accorded to me is that Vision helps you to escape 
the present limitations of your reality. I'm going to say that again. Vision or your imagination helps you to escape the present limitations of your reality. And if we're going to put that back into the context of the COVID-19, right? So the COVID created some limitations, created some adversity, some challenges. But when you're visionary, in other words, when your perspective is positive, when your perspective is very, uh, um, um, you know, um, different from, from most people, what you're able to do is you escape the limitations of your current reality into a space where there are no limitations. And while some people will call that the dreamer's land, the beauty of that is if you're a very optimistic person uh, and you're able to convert that vision into reality through the setting of goals, through the actualization of goals, through uh, um, collaboration and all these other things, you start to see those very things you dream about, those very things you saw in a vision come to life. Uh, using myself as an example, you know, remember how I talked about how I had to re revise my goals? Some of the things I wrote down was, okay, I'm going to write two books before the end of this COVID. Actually, I said three. All right? And I wrote the three. And I, I published two and one to go. Right? And all of that would never have happened. The, uh, and the only re reason why they happened was because I was able to see into the possibilities that could emerge uh, despite the limitations of my current reality. It was a visionary moment of me saying, hey, this can be done. I set a goal to speak at least 50 times. I ended up speaking 120 times. Right? I ended up blew, blowing that particular goal up. Um, and, and literally my brand grew massively. I, I remember one of the posts I even wrote on LinkedIn went viral. Uh, over 500,000 views and counting, and over, I think, about 20,000 comments and likes and so on and so forth, um, just from one post. Right? <laughs> this, uh, this, and before that, I would write every day and nothing like that ever happened or anything like that ever happened. One of my videos also went skyrocketing and still skyrocketing now on YouTube, uh, titled Mind Your Business, that I actually done like three years ago. Uh, but that was a season where everyone was interested in you know, contents and what people were doing and so on and so forth. And things just started to, 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 to blow open. And they came out of me escaping the realities or the limitations of my current reality to begin to launch out into possibilities. So it's one thing to stay within the limitations of your realities. Another thing to launch out into the possibilities of the future and begin to do things in that realm that the ordinary person would rather stay down and be depressed, feeling oppressed, used, reduced, and abused within, you know, within the context of their reality. But you can live beyond that. And living beyond that is what helps you to actually you know, thrive in a season like that. You've talked about revising goals. You've talked about revival. We've certainly had an opportunity for a reset. Some people are describing that as a recovery. Mm. Some others call it a regeneration. <laughs> How are you seeing that, that opportunity? All those words that you've described and more, um, it, it's, it is, it has been a regeneration. I, I, I feel like I'm a new human being completely. So let me give an aspect of my life as an example. So before COVID, I was a coach to, a life coach to about um, five people before, before COVID. Now I'm a coach to over 20 people all over the world. Why is that possible? It's possible because I believe people pay you to do anything for two main reasons. Number one, when they desire results that, a result that you have. Number two, when they can clearly see you 
consistently delivering those results, then they would pay you any amount of money you, you label it, any price you give it, to get those results. Because they believe you are the right person to deliver those results for them. And I'm going to say that again because I'm not sure if, if anyone listening caught that. Number one, people will pay you any amount of money, any label, any price you give to it, if you are showing a particular result that they want in their lives and you can, you, you're showing it. Number two, when you're showing it consistently enough, right, so they believe you're the right person to go to for that result that they desire. So during the whole entire COVID situation, right, People could see that this guy isn't living within the limitations of his reality. Mm-hmm. There is something that he's doing. Hey, he's organizing conferences, speaking all over the place. He's being the beacon of light, beacon of hope. And they are, they, they are staying down, right? And they, want, they don't want to stay down. They, they want to also write books. They want, like some of my boot camps that I organized, I organized about four boot camps this year. And all of them were during the COVID period uh, for people to write their books within 30 days. I've enrolled about over 30, 30, over 30 people on my boot camp. And all of them have written their book, including a 14-year-old. Right uh, <laughs> during the entire COVID period, and the only reason why that could have been possible was because of having to see that hey, this is a period, uh, uh, an opportunity for regeneration, an opportunity for revival, an opportunity to 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 yeah to not stay down and to rebirth, a rebirth, an opportunity for rebirth. That's what I'm looking for for a rebirth, and and yeah, I think I've I've. <laughs> <laughs> I've experienced that rebirth, and I'm a completely new bin. I'm a completely new bin. Oh, we're talking about re- Let's regeneration. Take the second of your music choices. Let's have, I think it's another African one. Let's have Fireboy DML Champ. Why this one? Uh, because it talks about being a champion and um, you know going through challenges to be a champion. So yeah, that excites me. I like the song. <laughs> Boy from the average streets with an empty pocket and a bag of dreams. 
Many things when eyes don't see, many tears when eyes don't bleed. Through the rise and falls, I made it to the top. You not get anything when you want to. Oh, I'm a champion. I'm a king. I'm a legend. Remember this, I'm a legend and I'm a killer. We've seen lots of changes in society over the last few months. What do you think will stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? What I hope would stick will be that people stop settling for, uh, for safe. We've, COVID has taught us that nothing or nowhere is really safe. Um, and we have to be on a journey of constantly rebirthing and revising and revisiting how it's developing new, seeing adversity as seeing adversity as um, collaborating with other people, not staying with what we know, being comfortable. I mean, take our teaching practice, all right? I know people who swear face-to-face teaching. There's no face-to-face teaching. It can't be anything, all right? But COVID has taught us. If you, can't, you can't sit on that. You've got to develop new competence, whether you like it or not. You have to, otherwise you just stay out of it, all right? Um, so I, that's what I would hope I would stay, that we realize that crisis is a tool, you know, just like one of those words and, you know, that I got, you know, at the beginning. Crisis is a tool, and we have to learn to use it. Use Use it for our own, use it for the good of society, use it to add value to people, use it to be that beacon of hope and that light in our generation, use it to, to, to reconstruct, deconstruct our beliefs and, 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 and ensure we emerge as new, you know, new creation you know, uh, people, people who, who, who are not shaped by the things happening to them, but rather shaped by purpose and shaped by the why, and as a result can go through any hour, and not just that, help other people be whatever it is that they're do you have to be in a position of privilege to have that view? I mean, if you're, if you're like you're really hungry, then someone saying crisis is a tool might be a bit challenging. Mm, mm. So, or, or does it does it does it work at whatever level you're at? That you can always see a, a way to the step up. It's a principle of life. It's a principle, and principles work whether you are disadvantaged, or advantaged, or poor, or rich, or whoever you are, uh, whatever level of the society you belong. It's a principle that would work. I mean, just like the law of gravity, whether you're <laughs> poor or you're rich, if you try and jump from a 25-story building, you would die. Uh, uh, the same way, I believe crises are not meant to kill us. No, crises are actually meant to repolish us, to renew us. To to so if we if every one of us would have that perspective, whether you're poor, in fact, I think the people who need that the most are the people who are disadvantaged, because that's already a state of adversity. So, so having to have that visionary mindset, that visionary attitude, where you are not locked within the limitations of your personalities, but you're beginning to, you're able to dream beyond that. You're able to see yourself beyond that. And while things may not necessarily change on the instant, you're still dreaming. You're working out things. You're doing the things every single day to get you out of it. And be, In fact, the entire story of my life is like that. I, I 
I mean, I, I grew up very poor. I'm talking about very poor. There was a time we, we my, my dad, um, you know, got a new house and it was uh, to rent for myself and my three sisters and my mom, right? And then we had two more people living and it was just a one bedroom house, right? My, my dad being a civil, trained civil engineer, both of us, and I'm his only son, had to reconstruct out of the living room, the small space, a new bedroom, right? So that the females could sit in the, sleep in the bed, in the one bedroom and the males could sit in a, sleep in another bedroom, right? Uh, 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 oh, sorry, so dad and mom actually could sleep in one bedroom and the rest of us could sleep in the other bedroom. That was the situation. Mm-hmm. And the house didn't have a door, right? My dad and I literally built our own sokeway. I'm not sure what you know, whether you know what sokeways are. Those are the things where uh, the feces, the shit in the toilet goes through, right? And gets buried on the ground. We call that sokeway. Uh, mm-hmm in Nigeria. We had to build it. We had to also build our own well, the well for drinking water. So, so speaking about humble background, uh, you're speaking to the right person. Uh, but the only reason why we could do all of that and still be happy, I'm talking about very happy, uh, purposeful, having the vision of the future that this is not where we belong. There is something better in our future. We see it. We know it. We believe it. We've just got to keep living for that day, right? And keep trusting for that day and keep doing all the things that are necessary for that day to come were, were the things that held us through those period in time. I remember every single day of that time, my dad would go to the cyber cafe. He was always looking for where can Nigerians go that is a developed country with their passport and not needing a visa. He was always searching. I remember sometimes they will just come back home and I say, hey, guys, I found Finland. Finland is where, <laughs> you know, we, we can go. And then he will soon realize, no, 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 Finland won't work for us because we will not be able to get a residency there. Okay, and then the next time he goes and comes back and says, Sweden, Sweden, yes, yes, yes. You can study for free in Sweden. And then he will soon come back again and say, oh, no, 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 we can't go unless we have this, unless we have that. And then there was a day he came and never changed his mind. He, he, he came and then he, was, he said he was Singapore. This was 2005. I will never forget. My dad came in with, with this look in his eyes. He was excited. He was, you know, passionate. He was telling us about Singapore. You know, Singapore is a developed country. It's a small country of just about uh, four point something million people. And if we go there, guess what? We don't need a visa. We'll just go in. All we need is 1,000 US dollars BTA. And they will let us in. And as soon as we go in, guys, after about one year, I'll bring you guys. And they'll bring all of you. And all of us will settle there. And we'll live there forever and ever. And, you know, that was his excitement. And we were all excited. We caught the vision. That's the vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, escaping the reality the limitations of his current reality. He was literally projecting that vision onto the rest of the family. So we were already seeing ourselves in Singapore. And of course, we couldn't afford it, right? So my dad, my mom took a lot, my dad wasn't working, mom took a lot of advanced salaries um, of about six months or whatever from our work um, to be able to make that, make that first journey. Remember, he had projected the vision that was going to bring us up. <laughs> this is someone who doesn't know whether he was even going to get a job. He doesn't know what he's going to do for a living there. He was just excited that he had seen something beyond you know, the, the, the limitations of our current reality. And that was how he traveled to Singapore in 2005. Guess what? 2006, that sent for all of us. Of course, he got there, couldn't get a job. And then he, while he was struggling, God gave him a vision. God gave him an idea. He was attending the church. And in that church, there were lots of Africans. And they looked unsettled within the church. And he just got an idea. Why don't I start an African? service here. And then he shared that with the senior pastor of the big church. There's about 3,000 people church. And the man said, guess what? We've been having, we've been wanting to start this for years now. We just don't know who to pioneer it. Who's passionate? Who has that? My dad said, I'll do it. And he's been a pastor back, back home in Nigeria. I'll do it. I know. Wow, you would do it? That's how they employed him as one of the staff. Gave him a house. Gave him this. And one day after, after doing that faithfully for about six months or so, the pastor looked at me in the eye and said, John, I want to give you a blank check. What is one thing that you think is within my capacity to do for you. Just name it and I'll do it. My dad said, are you for real? He said, yes. My dad said, bring my family. Bring my three girls, my boy, 
and I'll be grateful to you. And guess what? The man signed the check. How much will it cost? My dad found out that I signed the check. And that was how we left nine. That was the beginning of major change in our life. Story for another day. I could go on and on about the story. But that was how my sisters got in the new school to Singapore. That was how I got in another school and finished my bachelor's at the UK University in affiliation. And that was how I went for master's degree in Singapore at Nanyang University. That was how I came to New Zealand to my PhD. My sisters went on education. One is in the UK now, the other the others back in Nigeria. Dad did his own PhD as well. But things just changed. But it took one man. Mm -hmm. One man who would not sit within the limitations of his reality. One man who would dream. One man who would imagine that things can be or could be possible. Things uh, uh, positive could happen out of out of the entire rot and that we were not going to stay stuck in our rot. We were going to move out of it. We were going to, you know, and it was just dreaming. It was all a dream. It was all a dream. But he took steps. Of course, he didn't sit just dreaming. He took steps. He was going to the cyber cafe. He was going to, to check the internet every single day, literally googling, where can Nigerians go without visa? And every single day he would find something, he would come back home. He would find something, he would come back home. And none of them settled until one. And then that one was the one he was able to extend the dream and extend it to the entire family. Shared with all of us. We positioned ourselves in the dream and that was it. <laughs> A couple of loans after it was. And, and, and that I feel is what everyone, whether you're in a tough situation or not, or maybe you're just in a situation where you feel there could be more to life than what you're experiencing. That's, that's a kind of visionary mindset that you must have, where you're dreaming of something bigger. Not in a very stupid, silly way, but in a way that you can begin to think about how would you not just dream, but do something to actualize that. And that's the difference between just being an optimist, you know, a stupid optimist and a real optimist. A real optimist don't sit on their dream they do things about their dream i have a few questions to end the show with yeah they seem quite mundane after that <laughs> what lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic for the bigger challenges that we face things like climate change social inequity and so on i think we must begin to realize we shape the outcomes of, we shape the outcome the things that are happening uh, as a person of faith, I believe God has laid hand the responsibility of. And when you look at the subject of the word responsibility, move from it. We have a responsibility to save our responsibility to save. For as long as the earth will last, we have a responsibility. And I think COVID also does the same. We all have a role to play. A role to make the world safe. A role make the world a place. A role to compete less and compete each other. A role to see each other as brethren, adversary. A role to see um, the world being a better common goal, one person's goal and others being of that goal. Uh, so many lessons can be learned from. We can just switch up and be a bit more positive and be a bit more communal. So what is the biggest success you've had in the last year or so? I think my rebirth and being able to help out with the same. Like I said, coach to over 30, 40, 50, you know, thousands of people program conference my seminar books one of my bestseller on amazon um yeah in all of that just to um, those those would be things i would so we're writing a book of these conversations it's called tomorrow's heroes hmm. it's our team of people doing good work so you are in the team thank you <laughs> what is the superpower that's got you into our mansion <laughs> um i believe having a purpose and being sure of that person being able to articulate purpose. my life changed of course time won't permit us because i know i'm finishing my life changed 2016 when i was able to get a revelation of why i was and i think anyone that's why i wrote the book was in crisis i wrote it because i believe no one in life leave success thrive if they don't know why they were born and my life took a turn. I actually said that in Dextor. I gave it to Dextor. And my life took a whole turn. You found my in 2016. And I was very glad that I was born to help others. 
And ever since then, my effectiveness, my activity, success, value, everything just like literally went. It was as if the whole world around me was that a, a newborn baby had just arrived, like someone had just arrived on the scene. Um, uh, and, and that's exactly what happens to you, found a purpose. Not only do you feel it yourself, you feel it. You feel this sense of rebirth. And then again, people around you will feel it too. You, you know, it's one thing to feel something, right? If you're the only one feeling it, you probably look stupid. But when other people start to feel it as well, feel like there's something different about you. There's a way you talk now. There's a way you carry yourself now. There's a way you see the world now. It's 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 a completely different way to live. And and no matter the challenges that are happening around you, you're just smiling. You're just happy. It's like you don't live in the same realm that people other people live in because you're seen from a different lens. And that's the lens of purpose. That's the lens of why that can help you be anyhow and help you see, and see you through any challenges. So that's my support. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? No, I consider myself an agent of change, but not necessarily. <laughs> My next question is about motivation and the why, but I think you've well and truly answered that one. Thank you. <laughs> is that that's, that's why you get out of bed in the morning? It's... Absolutely. Um, since that day in 2016, precisely, guess what? Guess what? Today is the 16th of December 2020, right? 16th of December 2016 was the exact day I got a revelation of my on this same day, four years ago, I've got to write a, an article about that. On this same day, today is the 16th, right? Yeah. On this same day, four years ago, that was when my life changed. That was when my life. Um, yeah. And I. <laughs> wow. 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 I, I can't believe this. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm going to get emotional. Wow. I actually just pinned it down. And that was the day that I started to wake up with excitement, looking onto the next day, looking onto the next 10 years, looking onto the next 20 years. I live every day not wanting to retire. Of course, um, I may not necessarily be teaching in academia again in the next probably one, two years, three years time, but I will be helping people discover their purpose and maximize them for a very long time. And, and that, that is one thing that I think I would die doing and never retire. So what is the challenge you're looking forward to over the next year or so? It's to write more books, it's to reach more people, it's to speak more, write more, author more, coach more, be a mentor to build programs that will reach millions and thousands. One of my greatest dreams, two two greatest dreams that I have, I believe, and of course I'm sure they would extend and reach out more, is to build a university where no pay school. I'm just pouring lives, not just me, um, you know, helping other, you know, bringing a, a lot of other people to just pour into, especially the disadvantaged, give them scholarships, just come into the university and build them to become leaders of tomorrow, build them to become fellow agents of change. And we're just literally adding value and turn make another vision that I have. Is to, I have a school that I've just started called the School of Purpose and it's, it's to help people develop their or discover their and gain clarity and begin to run with build an influential life, a, a positive influential life you know, that influences other people to find their own purpose live a life of that's the kind of regeneration I want to bring and those things excite because I've not even I've not gotten anywhere <laughs> <laughs> so I want to live for the next day for the next decade for the next century you know doing all of that and I'm sure those two things will last me will last and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Find your purpose. Life is meaningless without purpose. I love the words of the late Dr. Marsman. He would often say that the greatest tragedy in life is not death. The greatest tragedy in life is to a life without purpose. Because it's one thing to die. It's another thing to die without knowing. If you die knowing your purpose and living your purpose, the world celebrates you. History remembers you because of the transformation you brought into lives. But when you die without purpose, the world will soon forget you. At best, they will cry for two weeks. But when you've lived a life that is purposeful, a life of legacy, of significance, of influence, of impact, of fulfillment, then people will never forget. And we are talking about people, Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, the Mother Teresa, or the history never forgets. When it, that's a quote. Thank you very much for joining me.
We're going out this week to Jingle Bells, so let's go out to awesome. Af- an African Jingle Bells. Corrado Bello. Corrado Bello. Jingle Bell. I'm Samuel Mann in Central Auckland with Samuel Ekandeo. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.